This is Passing Through Life, a show that explores how people navigate major life changes. Just how do we make it through what life throws at us? I'm your host, Luann Bolbecker. Today's episode is titled, Mother Never Told Me There'd Be Days Like These. It's episode number three, an interview with Sheila Fell, a young mom whose son Arthur was born in August 2016. So welcome, Sheila. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Sure. We first met doing refugee work. Um, you were finishing up law school, if mm-hmm. I recall. You just, I think you took the bar exam right yes. around the time mm-hmm. I met you. Yeah. But you wanted to do some work with immigrants and refugees. And I was running a refugee ministry. So you became my right hand person for a while as a volunteer. Thank you so much. Yes. <laughs> Yay. Um, and you are an amazingly capable woman. So I thank you for that. Thank you. You yeah. were um, just. So much fun to work with and definitely helped me get my feet wet in the nonprofit world. So I appreciate that a lot. Okay, cool. Yeah, hopefully you still do. You're still in it. Yep. Um, (laughs) uh, For this podcast, I actually reached out to you to tell your story because what I thought your transition we'd talk about is a transition from being a professional working woman um, to being a stay-at-home mom, at at least the early years here Mm -hmm. uh, with Arthur. Uh, And then when we talked, I found out there was a whole lot more going on to this story. And that's what we're going to explore today. But let's start sort of at the beginning, not not gee, where were you born? Uh, But okay, tell me a bit about where you were in life when you and your husband, Joe, decided you wanted to try and have kids. Yeah. So um, Joe and I, we actually were both non-traditional attorneys. So I work for a legal services organization. Um, just serving the low-income communities with legal advice. And Joe is a professor um, at a local college. So we um, we have been married now for 11 years. So by the time my son was born, we had been married for nine years. Okay. And those nine years were full of ups and downs, of course, but they were just a lot of fun. And we were in a great place in our marriage. We had just bought our first home in Cleveland. And we had a dog. Butters. And Did you have the picket fence? Was the picket fence there? Actually, yeah, yeah. there's like a little mini plastic picket fence. Okay, all right. um, okay. But okay. yeah, I mean, we were like, okay, we're good. We're in this good place. Like, what's the next step in life? And we always said, we're not going to do this just because everybody else is doing it. We have to want this for ourselves because we always felt like, okay, every child at the very least like deserves to be wanted. So we have to want this before we try for it. So um, we did. We got to that point and, um, and we, we tried and it took, it, it took time for us. It really did. Um, and in that time we did have one early loss, an early miscarriage, mm, um, which was, um, really hard, but also helped us to realize that how badly we really wanted a child. Um, so we, uh, got pregnant, uh, about six months after that. Okay. And, um, and Arthur was born, uh, yeah, August, 2016. Um, and I had a wonderful pregnancy. I love being pregnant. I was so connected to him. Um, and I just, uh, felt like, what was that like? I mean, so, uh, you were working while you were, yes, Yes, I was working, um, and, uh, getting our ducks in a row. And I just felt like we had, um, kind of like the idyllic situation. I would spend like hours researching like sleep (laughs) methods and nursing and what size he was and was he a barrier of peanuts and, you know, like. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, what does that mean? So, you know, that there's like so much focus placed on like the, when you're pregnant, like the gestational size of your child. So they'll compare Uh, them to like different fruit or different, I don't know, yeah, different fruits so or veggies or whatever. Is, is, is right. an official... Um, well, that's not fruit, I guess. Uh, well, but, well, but, okay, all right. Well, we're not going to go into I just the use peanut as an example. Yes, okay. But yeah, so 
you know, I was kind of like very in touch with that. And I was like almost obsessive about my pregnancy. I was like very careful about like what I ate and what I did. And, you know, I just was very cautious because in the beginning, I was very concerned about losing it again um, after the first miscarriage, which is, I think, pretty common um, for for um, moms who have experienced a loss. Um but yeah, I mean, we were we were all ready for him to go. And we just felt extremely prepared and bonded and just ready. Okay. All right. And one of the things we mentioned when you and I talked the first time that and you talked about how a lot of the transitions that I talk to people about, they're unwanted. They're sort of surprises. Okay. Right. But you mentioned how even positive that there are transitions you want. And even positive ones are stressful. Mm -hmm. You want to talk a little bit about that before we go into the details that um, even positive things can be tough. Right. Yes. I've read a lot about stress and people tend to associate stress with negative things. But yeah, that's the truth is that positive events can cause just as much stress as negative things. So whether that's like a wedding or having a baby, um, you know, positive transitions can have the same like health effects on you even. So, Mm -hmm. um, did you know you were stressed out or were you just like excited and here we go? It was a lot of excitement, I think. Um, but I think in that I was building up very high expectations Mm -hmm. for what our lives were going to be like. I like to be prepared um, I'm a planner by nature and, uh, my husband just kind of let me kind of take the reins and plan out every little detail. Um, so that's, I think kind of compounded, uh, what came to be after Arthur was born. Okay. We're getting there. So let's, let's get you to the hospital. So, um, I think this is where stuff starts not being exactly as you expected or planned. Mm -hmm. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, So I had a a midwife, um, actually. Actually, she was uh, related to my husband, so we were close. Um, You know, we had a great, warm relationship, and so I felt really comfortable to kind of contact her as my labor was um, progressing. But I had an incredibly long, slow labor. Um, It was 72 hours from my first contraction to the time that Arthur was born. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, everyone in the room, their eyes have just right. widened. Yeah. Okay. I remember like saying to people like, well, worst case scenario, it'll only take a day or two. Yeah. But I was wrong. So <laughs> it was, yeah, just a very, very long, slow, they call it prodromal labor um, or even false labor, but it just went on and on and on and on. Um, as the time went on, we had, I had Lots of complications from swelling to tearing. And once Arthur was finally born, which took three hours to push. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Once he was finally born by a vacuum, he came out and um, they were concerned that he had potentially um, like aspirated. So um, they were concerned about his lungs at that point. So um, he ended up being in the NICU um, for three days. Um, During that time, uh, I think I had completely underestimated um, the stress of the NICU. I thought it was incredibly unlikely that he would even be there because he was 40 weeks. He was perfectly healthy. Right. right. Um, I was still kind of like traumatized from like three days of no sleeping and eating. And so I was hallucinating and just really trying to recover myself. And, How's Joe um, doing at this time? Um, he's kind of holding on the fort with all the family and friends coming okay. in and out and all doing right. their thing and, you know, helping to take care of Arthur. They even let us, like, change his diaper and everything in the little um, – I wanted to call it a cubicle. Yeah. yeah. Is that where you put your hands in? Or, yes. Or in a, yeah, yeah, they yeah, have little yeah. holes you can stick your hand in and, okay. and change their diaper and everything. And But uh, I, I think uh, what was really difficult about that time is I had – been so prepared for this early bonding. So everything from, um, you know, uh, skin to skin contact that they say is really important, um, delayed cord cutting, which, you know, you wait to clip the cord so that they can get more nutrients in them. And, um, you know, just all this time together, have him, having him in our room to take care of him and um, nursing, of course. And like none of those things really were coming to be. Um because because he was in this little little container. So um, 
it, it was just um, a lot of stress trying to start that initial bond. I didn't have that moment when he was born that a lot of moms say like, oh, he came out and I just was like, you know, I, I was over the moon and I was crying and I've never been happier. <laughs> I just thought like. Let me tell you, sorry, yeah. my son is sitting in the room. I don't know that I ever had those moments. Either. I mean, it was fine, but it wasn't like, ah, da, 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 you know, the heavens open. So, um, right. okay. It was, but you yeah. were expecting Right. I was expecting those feelings. My mom had had those feelings. Everyone had told me that I would have those feelings. And he came out and I was like, you know what? You almost killed me. Like I (laughs) wanted to, I was like begging for death during my labor. (laughs) I know that sounds ridiculous. But my my husband said to me when it was over, he said, I thought you were going to die. I said Uh. to him. I wished for death. <laughs> but, you know, that was kind of the, our beginning. I know you specifically mentioned when we talked about uh, the lactation uh, mm-hmm. stuff that there, there were some real expectations yes. there and what that felt like. Yeah. Obviously, nursing is um, is really important. It's a really uh, wonderful gift that I think a mother can give to her children. Um, I'm a huge advocate of nursing. Um but it was incredibly difficult for me because uh, not being physically in the room with my son or having him physically on me, you know, had the effect on my body that my milk just would not come in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had so much pressure from the lactation consultants to um, just to um, be pumping constantly and like nothing would come out. Nothing would come out. I was like really uncomfortable. Everything was painful. I was really sore. I couldn't sit up. So all these things. Things kind of contributed to the fact that I just could not get my milk in. And I think I had um, like three or four visits from lactation consultants. And um, at one point, I remember one of them telling me when I expressed all my difficulties, you know, I guess it's just a matter of how much you want it. And the implication <laughs> being that be I didn't supported. Right. Yeah. The, yes. The implication being that I didn't really want a nurse, which, you know, really was not the case. I think somebody once said, um, you know, having a child, it's like you're going through a major medical procedure. And usually what happens after that is you get rest, you get treated comfortably, you know, you get whatever you need. And instead, it's like everything at that point transfers from being all about mom and all about the pregnancy to all about the baby. Somebody once described it as an unwrapped present which I think is a great description. Mm. Like you're this lovely wrapped gift when you're pregnant and then they tore, you know, off your paper and the baby's the gift and you're just this discarded. <laughs> you're the stuff you throw out and kind of wrinkled and right. not, yeah. And right. nobody even wants to save it and reuse it. Oh, right. I love it. Right. Yes. yes. And, and I remember, while well, I didn't experience what you did. I did remember how everyone treats you so special when mm-hmm. you're pregnant. Yes. And then all of a sudden you have this child and you're not really sure what you're going to do and you're not special anymore. Mm -hmm. You're just not. You're like everybody else in the world has a child and you're on your own. Go for it. And it was it it was. Yeah, that might have been one of my first um, expectations that I didn't expect, you know, just Mm -hmm. like, oh, all that good stuff's done now. Now what? You know, now what do you do? You're on your own. Go for it. Right. So, okay. Yeah. If I recall, did Joe go back to work, right? Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> Joe started a new, a new job, like, the, basically the day that Arthur was born. Yeah, a um, new job. Yeah, no he was born. In the, yeah, I know, right? Okay. Arthur was born August 2nd. Joe's job started August 1st. So, and he, I mean, he wasn't, like, necessarily going in, but he was doing a lot of work during this time. And so it was a huge transition for him. He had two major transitions. Um, it was a transition for us as a family as well because he works primarily in the evenings. He teaches evening classes. So all of a sudden, our days were just flipped, like, in every way possible. Like, he was gone at night, and I was home with a baby at night. And um, during the day, we were just trying to get on a schedule and everything. Um, so it was a big transition for both of us. Okay. So how is Arthur doing? You come home. What, what What's happening here? So we come home first couple weeks, he is uh, just sleeping and sleeping. And um, they always say like babies like wake up after two weeks. So first two weeks, he was perfect. My parents and my family came to visit and said like, what an amazing, wonderful, little, perfect, sweet, 
um, tired little baby he was. <laughs> and and I remember the day that they left, I called them and I was like, something's different today. And that was when it started. And so, of course, when <laughs> yeah. everyone's like, right. I love it. Yeah. All the support <laughs> is there. And then... Okay. Yes. And uh, so then he started crying and fussing and screaming and arching his back and bawling his fists and his face would get red and, um, you know, refusing to eat and it refusing to sleep. And it just kind of all went from there. So that's when I think uh, after after that lasted for a while um, and we were constantly looking for solutions to soothe him, we we realized there's that like scary word colic, um, which I think colic is something that is not really easy to define. They say sometimes it's the rule of threes, um, three hours a day, three um, three days a week for three weeks. That's how if they cry that often. If that's it's how you that's know. the minimum, they've hit that bar. Yes. Okay. Yes, and he most definitely hit that bar. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> how how much was he crying? Um, it's more like how much wasn't he crying? Really, it was he was um, he was crying or fussing. I would say, um, you know, about about half half the time, and the other half he was sleeping sleeping. So he was unhappy pretty much most of the time. And, you know, it wasn't always, I mean, he slept okay considering, um, but for the most part, he just was not a happy camper and we would try everything. You know, The Happiest Baby on the Block is a really popular book. I don't know if you've heard of it, but they have these different methods for soothing, um, for soothing children. Um, Everything from like sucking on something to being shushed to to being bounced, um, all kinds of things. And we would try every single one of those methods. And we would go to, we would walk into Babies R Us, which is now closed. Um, (laughs) And we would just walk in and just think, maybe there's something in this store that will, that will fix our problem. Right. Hope springs eternal. I I know this feeling in other areas, like, okay, that didn't work, but there's something out there, and we just have to find it. Right, right, right. And I was on Amazon every day. I was on the baby forums. I was on something called the Fussy Baby site. And I was even embarrassed to be on it. I was like, what if somebody sees that my baby is fussy? What if somebody knows that he has this pro- It must mean I'm a bad mom. And, and that's where everything else started. But as far as the colic goes, what would make him happiest is if I would sit on an exercise ball, I would hold him on his stomach, I would use a finger to put the pacifier in his mouth and use my other hand to hold up a white noise app in his ear playing like a um, hairdryer sound. And I would just bounce. (laughs) I was like a trained circus entertainer. And that maybe then he would stop. Maybe. 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 Okay. And if you stop doing that. He would just start up again. Yes. And just the despair, the frustration, the sadness, the confusion was just completely overwhelming. And so how long does this go on? (laughs) So usually people say colic lasts for about three months. Um, But for Arthur, it didn't really just like come and go. It kind of was like a constant thing. You know, we came to realize that it it, maybe colic wasn't the right word for it. Um, As he turned six months, seven months, eight months, he was still unhappy a lot of the time. And he had some sensory issues. And we ended up getting an occupational therapist and a physical therapist involved eventually. Um, And they definitely helped quite a bit with that. I don't, he wasn't diagnosed with sensory processing disorder, but I think I, came to learn this whole world of like sensory um, issues that a lot of kids have where they're not feeling comfortable. They're not feeling um, at home. They're not feeling themselves unless they have a certain sensation. So for Arthur, that was, that was movement. It was um, like his sense of being in space. Like he had to be bouncing, rocking, jumping all the time because they say uh, babies like need to feel their walls because they're used to the walls of the womb. Okay. So they want to, they're, they're floating in space when they get out. They're like, where, where do I start? Where do I end? So it was like, he had this urge to feel his boundaries. Like, so it it lasted, it lasted till he was 
um, maybe like 11 months. Um, okay, so yeah. so how are you at this? How, how, yeah. how are you? So, <laughs> yes. So the first few months of his life, I'm thinking he's just a newborn. It's, you know, it's problems with sleep. It's problems with his his um, milk, it's problems with formula. I was um, I was exclusively pumping at that point because I had some issues with um, him latching. And um, and then when that kind of went awry, I used donor milk. And when that went awry, I went to formula and did a bunch of different kinds of formulas. And um, so I kept thinking like, okay, if I just isolate these variables and if I figure out what's going on, it'll get better. And I, again, that hope. So I think that I was hopeful, even though things were really, really difficult. Um, but once he got to be about five months, I just thought, what's going on here? Like, I, I can't do this. Like, I just, I can't. I cannot, uh, it breaks my heart to hear my child cry. It it makes me anxious. It hurts me physically. I can feel it in my skin and my bones. It, they crawl when he cries. And I have to feel this way all the time. Right. I can't take it anymore. I just can't do it. But what choice do I have? Right. Like, this is the one job you can never quit. Yeah. So <laughs> what am I going to do? Um, so, you know, the despair set in, the anxiety set in. And I just thought that I had, that we had made this colossal mistake. Um, not that my son himself was a mistake, but that we were not cut out to be his parents. Right. Um, and why did you take something that was working so well, right. your marriage, and add something, and now it's hell? Is right. that a true? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. We, and we both thought that. I think my husband had his own, you know, his own fish to fry there with transitioning to his job. And, and for him, it was like he kind of could escape to into his job. Um, I was working part-time at the time, but I did not have that the amount of time to kind of escape into that. So, yeah, we were just sad and disappointed. And, I and what's thinking, your relationship like at this point with your husband? Well, we, we kind of hit a hard, a rough patch again around five months um, when I just, he, our son had a sleep regression and was waking up like every two hours. Um, and it was just completely sleep deprived. And, um, you know, my husband was working so much. And so, uh, at that point, I think I just needed him to help more. And I think he kind of realized that he didn't really want to help, (laughs) 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 which, um, you know, we have a pretty egalitarian relationship, I would say. Um, you know, we share a lot of housework. We share, we were, we had agreed we were going to share a lot of the childcare duties. Um, you know, we had always had this plan. We have a lot of like mutual respect where we follow some gender roles, but other ones not really. And it's really just by what we personally feel like we do well. So I think he could finally admit to himself that he wasn't really taking joy in this either um, and can, had harbored some resentment as well. Um, so we got to this really kind of ugly breaking point around Christmas, um, traveling with the baby, which he's a, <laughs> oh gosh, he does not like to travel. <laughs> Even though he likes to move. Well, right. Yeah, he likes okay. to move, but yeah, he doesn't like yeah. to travel. He does not like sleep in the car. He doesn't sleep on the plane. Like he's just, I mean, okay. now it's a different story, but yeah. Um, so. <laughs> well, what, is there a good story there you want to share or not? Uh, yeah, okay. uh, <laughs> there were times, I remember actually when he was a year, we, we drove back from, um, my parents' house to our house was a seven-hour drive. He screamed the entire seven hours. Okay. Seven hours straight. And um, it took me until hour six, and then I just started sobbing. I was like, I can't. I just can't do it anymore. (laughs) Like, (laughs) what am I going to do? So when you, in those moments, when you feel like it'll only be like, uh, oh, it only lasts a few hours, it only lasts a few minutes, it only lasts a few days or a few months. It doesn't feel that way. It feels like your life is flashing before you and you can't endure a single minute more. 
So they say the days are long, but the years are short, you know, is the yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. But I just kept feeling, I would tell people, no, the days are long and the years are long. This is long. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's long. Okay. <laughs> I think you also told me a bit about your relationship with your mom, that that um, that she had been kind of like the perfect mom. So again, mm-hmm. there's this whole thing with expectations seems to yes. be going haywire. Talk yeah. about that a bit. So my mom um, raised uh, three kids. Um and at the same time, had um, a lot of relatives from out of the country, kind of in and out of the house. And um, she, my dad worked more than well, more than full, full time. Um, and my mom just took care of all of us, and she loved every minute. Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe if she went back in time, she wouldn't have loved every minute. Yeah. But she will say now she loved every minute. And she um, was just, it came naturally to her. She had been a nurse before, which is a caregiving job. So it kind of makes sense that caregiving was, it came naturally to her. Um, and it wasn't, wasn't stressful. I was really bonded to my mom. We had a great, oh, always had a great relationship. So when I got pregnant, I talked, Talked to her all the time about pregnancy, about delivery. And she would, you know, say things like, oh, you know, this is how it's going to be. Or don't worry, you're going to feel this. And don't worry, you'll feel that. And when those things didn't really come to be, I just, I struggled to cope with it. Because then the one person who I felt like I could kind of relate to no longer understood how I was feeling. So uh, I had to find some... I had to find people who understood. Okay. okay. Um, and that's how I got involved with Poem. Okay. So, so tell me what Poem is. So Poem is um, Perinatal Outreach and Encouragement for Moms. Um, it is a, a local organization. Um, we have chapters in Columbus and in Cleveland. And um, it is a support group for moms who have had a perinatal mood disorder. So perinatal mood disorder is um, not just postpartum depression. I think most people have heard of postpartum depression. With Brooke Shields has talked about it. A few okay. celebrities yeah. have, ta- have opened up about it. And so it's kind of gaining more traction. Um, but there is actually a whole range. There's postpartum anxiety. Um, there's postpartum OCD, PTSD, and even rage. So there's a whole... Um, spectrum of perinatal mood disorders. And I had no idea because I thought, well, it's not that I feel like I want to sleep all day. I don't feel like, you know, I don't want to do things that I love. I just feel this skin bristling stress and anxiety all the time. So for me, it was really anxiety. And, and I hate to, I hate to say this because it's such a shame thing, but rage, I was angry. When I would hear crying and it wouldn't stop, it would make me crazy. It just made me want to scream. I would Do go into. Do you know who you were angry at? <laughs> that's like <laughs> that's a great question. <laughs> God, probably yeah. a little bit. Um, myself, my husband, for making this choice. I mean, my my son too, to a certain extent. I couldn't understand why every other baby that I saw seemed to be so jolly and i mean we know that we praise happy babies you know right, right. We, we we exalt high, happy babies oh there's such a happy baby so then what does that say about unhappy babies you know so you know there's a lot of guilt and shame associated with this kind of stuff you know but but at the same time you know how would you feel if your baby was never happy? How would you feel if they screamed all the time? When we hear the baby screaming on the plane, we think, oh, what a brat, right? Right, but, I mean, right. And the parents, the, the child is a brat and the parents, parents yeah, yeah, they're they, not doing their job. Yeah, they're Right, not, they're not working hard. They're just letting them do whatever they want and they're disturbing everybody else. I think that's a remnant of the like children have to be seen and not heard kind mm, of thing, right? right like right. don't disturb us, you know. Um, and I, I get it. Before I had a child, I probably, I thought all the same things. I thought that people with postpartum depression were um, were selfish. I thought that um, babies crying on planes were annoying. And, you know, I thought all those things. I remember <laughs> the first time our oldest son 
we were in the middle of um, a furniture store, you know, a department store, and he's having a tantrum. And, I mean, we just let him, because I remember thinking before that, that parents could stop their child from crying. I Mm -hmm. just thought that was what you do as a parent, and you just know how to do that. And I remember just, it's like, no, I have absolutely no idea. He's going to do what he's going to do, and, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll try a few things, but no. Um, Yeah, you don't have control, just like you don't have control of anyone. Exactly. Um, and I think people people will judge you for not doing anything, and people will judge you for doing things, right? <laughs> so if you don't do anything and you let them cry, someone will say, like, handle your child. But if you stop them from crying because you are, like, give them the treat they asked for or you're, like, you know, you're trying to soothe them, it's like, oh, you're, you're, you're spoiling, spoiling that child. Them, right. So, you know, you're just darned if you do and darned if you don't. But, um you know, this was an infancy. So there's no such thing as, I suppose, spoiling a child at that point. And so I felt like people were saying, like, your answer is just to do literally everything that you can possibly think of. Like, never give up until your baby is happy. Do everything you can all the time. Um, Which is kind of impossible, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Because what what goes out the window then is, like, a level of self-care. So, um, so this, that's one of the things that poem really helped with. So, um, kind of going back to poem. Um, so there's a, there was a support group that met every Tuesday night. Um, I, there was a hotline. I called that hotline and spoke with, uh, a wonderful woman, um, who just kind of talked me through it. She had had, um, a really traumatic experience herself and, um, told me that I was not alone, that I was not a bad mother for feeling that way, um, that there were people who felt the same way that I did, and that there was no shame in it. Um, And they seem simple words, but they're words that I think so many moms with perinatal mood disorders do not hear. Um, so I, I went to my first group and how far along are you? So, oh, okay. Where so this was at this point, um, Arthur was about, uh, this was, he was five, like f- between five and six months old. Okay. So that right. was kind of when everything came to head and I just knew that I needed some help. So that's when I started going there. Um, my first meeting, I remember talking to some of the women and, um, asking about, um, getting put on medicine. So I have actually not, I haven't had an extensive history of mental illness. I did have um, post-traumatic stress disorder from a car accident in high school. Um, I had gotten therapy for that, um, you know, in my 20s, and and it worked. It was great. I learned how to drive again, and I'm on the roads. Everything's good, you know. So uh, the idea of taking medicine was a little foreign to me because I thought, well, can't I just kind of talk my way out of this? Or can't time just speed up? Right, right. But um, all the women in the group at that time were on medication. And um, it kind of gave me a little courage to try it. Um, And I did. And the difference was, like, instantaneous almost. Oh, you're kidding. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so great to hear because um, those who know me, um, I deal with uh, a spouse with um, dementia. And pretty much every... When I know, you know, yeah, we go into depression and anxiety, but a lot of the those medications take several weeks to uh, take effect. So, right. Uh, well, and uh, so I was on a combination of medicines, and the okay. one would t- took a few weeks, um, but the the other one was for my anxiety, and that one had like an immediate effect. It's okay. almost like, you know, you know, taking like a, a Tylenol versus a course of antibiotics. You know, it just okay. it it. it cure the immediate effects. And my doctor um, could tell just by looking at me how anxious I was and um, prescribed it right away. And it made a huge difference, surprisingly, in the feeling of anger. And I I never realized that anger can be a manifestation of anxiety. Mm. So the idea Mm. of like, I, I, I don't have control over the situation. And so I'm anxious over it. And because I don't have control, um, I'm angry. Like, I, I feel, you know, I feel like I can't get my bearings, so I have to, I have to place the blame somewhere. Where yeah, do I place it? you have to lash out. I, I, in a completely different thing, that's how I've always known when it's time to change jobs. I'm angry at everything. Mm-hmm. The smallest thing will just set me off, and it's like, okay, 
that's not my typical demeanor. Um, right. <laughs> something's yes. got to change. So yes. clearly, yes, you were angry. Yes, something's right. got to change. And same for me. Anger is not my typical demeanor either. I am lover, not a fighter. I, I just, I hate fighting. <laughs> I think it's why my husband and I get along so well is we just don't like to fight, even though we're both lawyers. <laughs> oh, wow. How did you manage that one? Yeah. I don't know. Who knows? Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't like the way I felt. And um, yeah, I just remember going into a, another room just to scream mm. as loud as I could, just to get out my anxiety. Um, but the medicine helped with that immediately. Um, but it took a longer time to kind of get through some of the other deep-seated issues of of regret and mm. sadness and um, lack of control. Um, and the way that I got through those was through my support group and through therapy as well. It's like kind of the the trifecta uh, okay. of for mental uh, illness is a support group, therapy, and medication. Okay. So um, they say that people who get treatment for postpartum depression, um, basically all of them um, are will be cured. Um, it is a very, very curable disease. Um, it is like a, it is a life-threatening disease. Mm. Um, mm. We hear about mothers taking their lives who are just picture perfect on Facebook, you know, uh, loving baby, loving mommy, everybody's looking great. And I would say that sometimes when you see that, it means that there's so much underneath it um, to get to that point. The amount of pressure that that person put on themselves to show the world right, that the mask was okay. And you told me you were posting those monthly milestones yes. on Facebook, mm -hmm. but that that kind of got you through. I mean, you tried to find something, but you couldn't find anything positive. Right, right, right. I, I need to go back to your posts and see what yeah. you were actually so saying. So I would say like it would, <laughs> I would list my son's, his likes, his dislikes, his weight, his height, you know, what, what milestones he was hitting. Um, and it was tough because, uh, you know, I always could figure out his weight and his height, but, um, <laughs> but there were, there were months that I was like, likes, he doesn't like anything. And then I would say, what do I write for dislikes? He dislikes everything. Like, I just can't even put anything on this list. Yeah, and even um, milestones. That was a huge struggle for me as well because um, he had gross motor delays. And mm. so as a result of that, a lot of the typical milestones that you see in the first year, like crawling um, or like pulling up or walking, he didn't do any of those his first year. In fact, he was a scooter. He scooted around on his, on his butt for a solid nine months, and we got comments from everybody everywhere we went um, about his scooting. So it, that was another whole focal point, you know, that I think wasn't really helpful um, because the focus was so much on his delays rather than on what he was, where he was at and what he was learning and who he was becoming. Um, so, it, yeah, um, that those milestones I would post them to say, okay, like I made it through another month. We got through this. And um, I think there's something good about that, about, you know, marking that time. But I think it's really the way we do it. And we really feel like we have to communicate uh, the relationship we have with our children in like the best possible light all the time. And, and there's so much focus placed on those first, that pregnancy in that first year. Nobody does milestones after their child turns one, right? Maybe when they're like each year, right? Right, right. But there's so much focus on those early years, and of course they're important. But um, at the same time, I think we place so much emphasis on those couple years being so perfect. Um, and for us, it was just the reverse. It was really after he turned a year, um, and even now at two years old, um, when we really started experiencing the bonding, the milestones, the communication, all those things. So maybe we need to just let our our listeners know how is your relationship with your son now? Who yeah. who is Arthur? Yeah, and then we'll go back to some other questions. Yeah. But yeah, no, who I is this child? Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate the question because I feel like I don't want anybody to get the impression that we don't have a great relationship because at this point we have an amazing relationship, and I think my son is the coolest kid ever. Um, 
I think he's, I'm, maybe I'm biased. I think he's completely brilliant. He knows, mm-hmm. he just turned two. He knows all his colors, all his animals, his numbers one to 20. He's like, he loves to go on walks. He loves things that spin. So he's happy. Oh, yes. Yeah, he is, this is a he happy, is happy child. He is a very wow. happy child. He's okay. a very communicative child. And he's he knows what he wants. He knows what he doesn't want. But he knows how to communicate that to us. And so he has this, awesome little independent personality that reminds me kind of a lot of his dad. Um, He has his dad's memory, his dad's intelligence, um, his dad's quirks, but he has my, um, he has my extroverted social nature. He's a very social child. Okay, Okay. He like, you know, he likes to talk to people. He likes to talk to strangers. I can leave him in our church nursery and he's completely content there, chit-chatting with everybody about every car in the room. So he's a wonderful child, and I love him dearly, and we love to cuddle and tickle and all that stuff. So um, I I say this because like we focus so much on those first few years and act like they're more important than any other given year. You know, at least that's the impression that I always get about children, um, is that that first those first years are so much more important than the other ones. But what about their friendships? What about their interests? What about, you know, their schooling? You know, there's so much more to come that is that brings you to a greater understanding of your child. Um, it almost was easier to let go of control um, when he when he could communicate, I think. Okay, okay. Um, what do you wish maybe would have been different? So, I mean, if you could go back and let's change your situation, if that's at all possible, what do you wish maybe you had done different, others around you had done differently? What could have made this, I mean, it sounds like he was going to be colicky or whatever it is. That that was your child, and mm-hmm. that's how he was dealing with the world. But were there things that could have been done differently that could have made your experience better. Yeah. Um, I wish that I had gotten help sooner. Um, And I remember going to um, my midwife to tell her that I wasn't feeling right. Um, She sent me to um, somebody who was going to give me some resources. They gave me some resources that didn't really pan out. And it was kind of a little bit of like a runaround to get and find help. Um, And I I think that that's getting better. I've seen it got, getting better since I had Arthur. There's a lot more support groups out there. There's one that's especially for parents who have had kids in the in the uh, the NICU. Um, there's ones for parents that have kids with special needs. There's there's all kinds of support groups out there now. I wish I had known about it earlier, and I wish I had gotten help earlier. Uh, my best friend in the group who we co-facilitate another group now, she— um, she came um, when her baby was just a couple weeks old. Mm. She had a history of mm. mental illness, and so she knew that she would need to get help right away. Um, so I've, I see a lot of people with infants in the support group. I wish I had not waited until Arthur was five or six months to get that help because in that time, I think it's, you know, I've had to undo a lot of the feelings that I had during that time and kind of work through all of them. Um, I wish there was not a stigma about both mental health and medication. Um, My thought is if I take something and I feel myself again, then why why would I not take that? If you had a headache and you didn't feel yourself and you took a Tylenol and then you felt better, why would you not take the Tylenol? I mean, I and I know everybody has reasons for not taking medicine, but um, people think that like, I'm not going to be myself. I shouldn't need a pill to feel happy. But we know that so many different things contribute to happiness. So why not let that be one piece of it? Right, right. It's not the only thing. You're not just, that's it. And it's a miracle drug. It's just a piece of your life. Mm -hmm. What about also, again, we talked about there's such an expectation. Or if the baby's not happy, you're not happy, it's your fault. Yeah. Could... Do you think people contributed to that or did you just self, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> torture yourself? I, mean, who, yeah, who, I don't I don't know where that comes from, except for the idea that um, 
of the connection between a happy mommy and a happy baby and the connection between um, a happy baby and a good mom. So uh, all those things are kind of, um, I think, uh, connected in our in our society, in our culture of like, oh, you, ha- you have such a happy baby. You're such a great mom. Right, right. That um, usually is what comes next. Yes. Right. Yes, in the conversation. Um, so if you have an unhappy baby, then does that make you a bad mom? It, the other connection is that people say, um, your baby's not happy because you're not happy. And, oh, so you're um, causing it. Right, yeah, exactly. Right, right. So okay. like maybe the reason that your baby is crying all the time is because you're upset. Like, well, maybe I'm upset because my baby's crying all the time, you know? <laughs> um, and and the fact that, like, that's seen as, like, oh, well, you just don't want to, you know, you just don't want to take care of them. You just don't want to change your life, you know? Um, no, I think I would argue that anybody who is upset that their baby is unhappy and is desperate to fix that, I'll just say, is a good mom. Like, <laughs> right. Clearly they care. Clearly right. they're trying to do something. Yeah. Right. right. And I think like we're desperate to moms of kids with colic or kids who are, you know, have special needs who are not really happy. They're desperate to show the world like how hard they try to make their kids happy. But I think that's also the thing is like we expect our kids, our babies to be happy all the time. We're not happy all the time. You know, we're not um, we're not calm all the time. We don't have good days every day. Why do we expect more of our children than we do of even ourselves? It makes no sense. Right, right. Well, because we do that in all sorts of things. We yes. think our job's going to be <laughs> wonderful. We think yes, but hey, uh, you talked about uh, now when you um, when your friends are pregnant and you you go and look for. Um, <laughs> Cards, greeting cards. Can you talk about that? <laughs> what, what are you looking for these days? Oh my goodness! Yes, that's so funny. I'm, it's funny that you remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I have a lot of friends that are having their first little ones. I go to a ton of baby showers, and every time I go into the card aisles, they all the word that you see all the time is joy, joy, bundle of joy. Oh boy, oh joy, happy, fun wonderful you know everything is just butterflies and rainbows to the extreme like you're just getting the thing that's going to make you happy for the rest of your life this product of a baby that's coming and it just it just rings like so false to me like and not that a baby cannot bring joy of course they can bring a ton of joy but um any uh, anybody who has children will say your children bring you both joy and sorrow like that is a fact of nature, right? It's impossible for it to be joyful all the time. And of course, we don't want to have cards being like, oh, get ready for this hell. (laughs) But (laughs) but, I'm sure those (laughs) exist, don't they? So I found a card the other day for a friend and and I was laughing because one of my friends picked out the same one because it, it didn't list, it didn't say joy. It listed like all of the Various responsibilities, and some of them were pleasant, and some of them were unpleasant. They were talking about diaper duty and feeding and burping, but also things like cuddling and laughing. And I was like, okay, that's that's the whole thing, you know. Like, we want to look at this holistically. We want to like make more reasonable expectations for parents going in, um, and I think keeping our expectations realistic and reasonable is one big factor. And I think. Um, preventing and overcoming um, perinatal mood disorders. We talk about expectations all the time in my group, Mm, mm. basically every time we meet. Tell me a little bit about the group. So you've moved on. This is new, isn't it, for you? I mean, just that to now not only helping yourself, but wanting to help others. Yeah, so I kind of aged out of our group because um, it's primarily for mothers in the first 12 months past the birth of their child. Um, So... I was still going to the group and I was meeting with, um, you know, some of the facilitators about maybe starting a group for kind of the next phase. So a lot of us moms that have gotten through um, that first year 
um, still struggle with our old thoughts and habits. We still um, kind of mourn in what often feels like the loss of that first year or the disappointment of that first year. And then we're also just dealing with our day-to-day, you know, issues of dealing with toddlers. Right. You know, I think a lot of people have, you know, their toddlers are even more difficult than those early years, just dealing with tantrums and discipline and things like that that they hadn't thought about before. Um and so I think uh, we still need that support um, to stay healthy as moms. So uh, my friend uh, from the original support group and I, we started a new uh, group that is a maternal mental outreach group. So we meet Monday nights um, at John Knox Church um, in North Olmsted at 6 o'clock. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're open to moms um, you know, of, of kids 12, 12 months and up, there's a nursery on site. And we use that time to just kind of share where we're at and what struggles we're going through. Um, anything from kids going to school for the first time to potty training to dealing with kids hitting or tantrums. And um, and it's a safe space to be able to talk about those things. Um, and it's a judgment-free zone. So it's really hard to talk about things like, oh, my, hit, my kid hit another kid at the library. I'm so embarrassed. What do I do? That's something that is there's not really a space to talk about that. You can't post that on Facebook. No, you can't do that. And <laughs> and what I guess what I want to say about support groups, having been through it again in our journey dealing with Alzheimer's and dementia, the initial response is, I don't want to go to a bunch of people who are going to be whining and complaining <laughs> and it's going to be depressing. I mean, we stayed away, you know, for, for that and, and other reasons. But what I found it the very first time I walked in the room and we had um, our diagnosis had come in January. We went in August or September. It was the first time I felt all the masks could come down, mm-hmm. and I felt like me because this was a group of people who understood. And you didn't have to pretend that everything was fine, and you didn't have to hide all the 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 shameful things that maybe you know someone's doing. So, I mean, I just have to say. Now, every support group is different, and so you also have to find one that you fit with. Mm -hmm. But to out of hand dismiss them, um, it's not a good thing. Uh, I mean, if you're dealing with something difficult, uh, finding a a core group, and I know in our case, these will be lifelong friends. We have gone through years together now, and not just in a support group. We've done things socially and fun things. We've lived our lives with people who understand what you're going through. And that's okay. Your other friends are there for you in a different way, but they they just can't understand necessarily. And that's okay. That's exactly the feeling we get in our group. Um, And there's there's like a whole language that you speak together Mm. and a whole set of of assumptions that you don't have to... um, that you don't have to explain to right, people. Right. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Who's susceptible to this? I know um, I, I did a tiny bit of research, but it's like one in five women. Yes. Yeah. One in five. Yeah. That's right. Um, it's, yeah, it's incredibly common. Um, I think they say that uh, there's some research to say that women who have experienced infertility, women who have experienced miscarriage or early loss, Women who have had babies in the NICU, women who <laughs> wow. have, right, women, check off, right? check, 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 check. Okay, right, and then women who have uh, babies with colic, all these things, <laughs> right? Um, you and, hit yeah. the lottery, right. she oh, good job. Right. Okay. Um, also women who have had one before, who have had a perinatal mm. mood disorder um, with their first child are more likely to have it with their second or third. Um, and uh, women with a history of mental illness. So there's like a whole list there of, um, of contributing factors. Um, and, uh, but it can also hit really anybody. Um, I've seen women at my support group who, when they walk in, I think everybody looks and thinks you really, they have it all together. You know, their hair is done and their makeup is done and their clothes are clean and their baby is clean. (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, what? Um, you really it can it it knows no boundaries so um it can happen to anybody and it's really nothing to be ashamed of getting getting help i think it means you want to be the best mom you can be for your child and what could be better than that right. um right. yeah do you intend to have more children <laughs> 
goodness. Um, not, not at the moment. No. And I think before I used to think I could never do this again. I, you know, I don't, I'm just not good at this. Uh, I could never do it again. Um, now I think more about my son and the, um, he just loves to like, he loves interaction. He loves to be stimulated. He loves to talk to us. And I just kind of want to give him all the attention that he's demanding of us right now. Um, and, you know, maybe that'll change in the future. But for now, I just want to fully invest in him. And so instead of it coming out of a place of like resentment or, um, or regret, I think now my desire not to have more kids is coming out of a place of just wanting to throw myself into my son, um, and, uh, and just giving him everything he needs to be the best version of himself possible. How have you changed as a result? Oh man, I will say like probably the biggest thing is I, I think I'm a much less judgmental person than I used to be. Mm, mm. Um, I think I definitely was the type to judge moms and their choices. I don't think I ever judge anymore because I know that not only is um, is every child completely unique and needs unique things, um, and but also every parent is unique. And if something is going to keep the parent healthy, then that's going to be good for the child. So, um, you know, when a parent makes a choice that maybe is unpopular— um, Sometimes I think, well, maybe they needed to make that choice so that they could be healthy for their child, you know, and um, knowing how bad it can get and uh, how much risk there is in not practicing that self-care, I can see that, you know, you just got to trust that most people want what's best for their kids and are doing the best they can with the resources that they have. Anything else I should have asked you or anything you want to tell someone listening to this, you know, who's going, well, hopefully not scared to death now to have a child. (laughs) But, you know, (laughs) let's go with someone who maybe is feeling some of this again. So anything else you want to add or advice for somebody? Um, Hmm. I think maybe I'm just repeating myself, but don't wait to get help. Don't be ashamed to get help. This is an illness just like hand, foot, and mouth disease, which my child has right now. Um, (laughs) It's an illness like any other, and it's it's treatable. It's fully treatable. Um, You can live a normal, healthy life. You can enjoy being a mom, um, but you can't just will your way into it if you have these types of thoughts. It's not something that you can just talk your way out. Right, or power through it. Right, you know? yes. Don't yeah. power through. There's no reason to power through. There's no reason to be ashamed. Um, be real with yourself and be real with at least one other person in your life. Um, better yet, be real on social media. <laughs> I think that that ah, helps us. Oh, ooh, Because okay. I think the, the face that we present of, of motherhood on social media is really completely unrealistic. It makes people feel a lot of shame, I think, um, and sadness when they are having a rough day and somebody's posting about how perfect everything is. And um, I think, uh, yeah, the the way we portray ourselves is going to affect how we parent and um, that's going to affect the next generation. I think if our kids can't see us be real and honest, then um, that that's not going to teach them to be healthy in sharing their emotions. And that's how we get into, I think, a lot of the trouble with like, you know, I'm not even going to get into the shootings in schools and things like that. But when, when kids can't express themselves, right. bad things happen, I think. So, and when adults can't express themselves, yes. Right, and we want to teach that. Bad things happen, right. yes. We want to be the example to our kids that it's okay to feel a range of emotions um, as long as we're not hurting people in the process. So I think we can teach that to them by telling them that this is the way you do this, by going to support groups, by getting, um, by, you know, talking out your problems with people who understand, by being in safe places. Okay. Thank you so much for sharing this part of your life journey, because I'm imagining from what you've told me, again, that maybe had I come to you a year or so ago, that's not a place you could have been, but to be able to share this now. 
So that wraps up today's visit with Sheila Fell, a young mom who's teaching us that there are many ways of experiencing new motherhood, that expectations and reality can be very far apart, and that difficulties in a situation that's supposed to be oh so wonderful need to be recognized, accepted, and dealt with openly and consciously. Thank you. Thank you, Luann. You've been listening to Passing Through Life, a show that explores how people get through major life changes. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave a wonderful review in Apple Podcasts. That will help new listeners know more what to expect. And you can email me at passingthroughlifepodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to comment about this show or suggest people and topics for future episodes. I'm Luann Bull Becker. Thanks again for joining us.